Hey there, it's JVL. On The Secret Show with Sarah Longwell today, we talked about Mitt Romney going away. We talked about the United Auto Workers strike. We talked about Trump on Meet the Press. We, we talked about all sorts of things. Here's the show. The McKay Coppins piece is devastating for a whole bunch of reasons. I read it and had many simultaneously simultaneous thoughts. One is... This is phenom- a phenomenal piece of writing and reporting. Just it really is. I didn't incredible. know that McKay had that in him, honestly. I've always liked him as a writer, but this is like a whole level up above what I thought he was capable of. It's very impressive. It's outstanding. And I got to say just real quickly, like the Tim Alberta, because this was, it was sort of one of these Tim Alberta-like oh. things where he's he's putting you in the space. He's giving you psychological yeah. access to somebody Um and it doesn't feel exploitative and it doesn't feel it's just it but it's it's perfect. I was it's a it's perfect. I can't wait to read his book. Um yeah, Jeff and I Goldberg almost has never this habit that. of doing this with with writers. Like he's the editorial team that he's assembled over there is really helping their writers grow. They're the only ones that are better than us. And they're the only ones that are better than us. Yeah. Well, I mean it's scale. I wouldn't say better, but uh <laughs> But you, but I, I mean this as an editor. You definitely see. I would say Jennifer Senior, Senior yeah, Emma Gre- uh, Emma Emma Green, who's no longer there. Uh, Olga, whose name I can't remember. It's like a Russian-y, Russian European, Kazakhstan or something. Yeah, um, very got good. Anne Applebaum. Well, Anne was always great before the. Yeah. But Tim Tim Alberta has really blossomed, yeah. and McKay has blossomed, and what that speaks to is a culture where the editors are helping the writers really grow into being the best versions of themselves, mm-hmm. and I find it deeply impressive. So yeah. hats off to those guys. Sorry. So that was so that was my my I'm like reading it being this is like an incredible piece of writing, but the other part of it, I appreciated a great deal being brought into how Mitt Romney struggled personally with navigating these moments. Um, because I've been mad at Mitt Romney in and and then and then he, he's the only person that cheers me up. Like he'll come, you know, he we when he made that speech because they they go inside the speech that he gave at the first impeachment and talk about how he he laid up at night thinking he was gonna he was going to exonerate him because he didn't necessarily think that he had you know gone he could he didn't think they'd proven that he'd gone out of his way to like bribe Zelensky. but then other republicans were like well even if he did that's not really what matters and he was like no but that does matter and he realized how much of a cynical ploy it was and he decided he had to convict i also um i just his this is you know you and i fight about mike pence and and this is i thought this really was yeah mid taking sides against pence was tough for me yeah uh had to make made me rethink some things but you know what uh well i'll be interested in that really because to me the way that mitt was the way his faith sits on him as like a I can't make a decision like this that is going to put me at odds with my faith is something that like Mike Pence, pie old pious Mike Pence, uh clearly didn't do. And so I thought, yeah, I thought that part was like devastating and interesting. Uh I'm what else? I got like a million moments from this piece. The parts about Mitch McConnell 
where Romney finds out that January 6th, that on January 6th, there's going to be like this mob of people and he gets a call from like Ken Buck or something. Angus King. Angus King. Angus King, yeah. Angus King is like, because they're basically like, they'll kill you, Mitt. Like, that's not what they say. But like the implication is you, Mitt Romney, uh, would be particularly uh, of interest to a mob coming to the Capitol. And so I want to warn you. So Mitt texts or either texts or sends a message to McConnell being like, hey, do we have security, like proper security for this? Because it sounds like this thing that's happening on January 6th could be really dangerous. And Mitt or, and McConnell just doesn't write back. You know who comes off horrible in that whole piece is Mitch McConnell. Uh, oh, like, yeah. What a bad – I mean, some of this stuff. And this is the, the whole time reading this piece – and this is why I think it's such an important, incredible piece of writing. You and I know as deep in our bones as anything that these are bad, corrupt, compromised, cowardly people. We know it. It's not like this is a surprise to us. And yet it was revelatory to read it and it was like re – understanding the depths of that corruption because mitch will still do things from time to time that give me like a little bit of like oh well mitch is gonna fund ukraine right because he'll still act enough like a normal republican that i sort of am like well mitch mcconnell won't go for that because he's not like the worst but like he is the worst the most craven um and yeah i just kept thinking about the hollow men the hollow chests i mean the stuff about about him sitting going into the the like senate cafeteria like the republicans like this schoolyard middle school no one sits with him he's kind of alienated and like it makes him sad and he feels bad about it but also that doesn't and and this is where i think it elevates your appreciation for mitt romney because i think it's one thing to all of us sit in sort of judgment of how he behaves from where we are but when you think that every day for him to do the things that we want him to do, he is turning to the person just sitting next to them and putting his thumb in their eye, right? Like it requires him to just be completely alienated every day from the people he's around, to have them hate him, not want to work with him, not be able to do his job for people. And then I got more. And then there's this other element that I, I know I've talked about with you a lot, but I think it's just this underappreciated psychological effect uh, that's happening on the Republican Party, which is the menace of the voters. He talks about how he felt unsafe in Utah, how they booed him. And I remember when this happened, how they were booing him and screaming at him at a Republican event in Utah. And he was like, man, these are my people. But he didn't feel safe in that moment. And that is when a lot of these guys step down. It's it's because, I mean, he's stepping down, I think. I do think the age thing, I do think he probably can't win a Republican primary. I think he wants to unburden himself. Like, I think that he's going, I can't wait to read this book or other excerpts because I just think he's going full tilt after these guys. He's going to expose uh, them all. And I just, I want it to happen. I can't remember where I was going with that. I don't know. I get, the piece gets me so wound up. But then it's also just like impossibly sad. It's impossibly sad what happens behind the scenes. Sorry, you talk now. I'm going to stop. No, I'm, I'm just going to prompt you for more. What do you think about the anecdotes where he recounts speaking with other elected Republicans who wanted to vote for impeachment, but who said they couldn't? 
because they were afraid for their wives and children. And then the Republican senator who was going to vote to convict, but then got talked out of it under the rational, rational, rationalization of uh, think about your safety. Yeah. So this is now a thing. Domestic terrorism has risen to the point where decisions are being made at the congressional level out of fear for the physical safety because of one of our two major parties. That's where we live right now. And and I remember this, you know, like it was some of the impeachers, like the people who did vote to impeach, like it got so bad. What's his name? Didn't run again. Gonzalez. Gonzalez. And this is not right. I mean, there was, uh, you know, Pete Mayer talked about this. Uh, this is, I, I think it was Reuters did a giant investigation of what this looks like at the local level with like local uh, election board people and the death threats and threats of violence that they've got all through 2020. Uh, this is, this isn't the first time we've seen this over and over and over and over again. And I don't know how we get out of this because uh, here's the thing about the threats of physical violence. They work. They do work. And all the people making those threats, they understand that they work. And uh, like this is where this is bad. And it's bad because I don't really see a way out of it unless it just sort of burns itself out somehow, right? I, I, I think it is going to be largely resistant to, to extinguishing. Well, this is one of the reasons that the prosecutions of the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, and the January people who broke into the Capitol on January 6th yes. is so important. Like the consequences uh, for people who are threatening violence uh, against elected officials at every level Um they should. But like that was another thing. Like Mitt Romney's paying five grand a day for yeah. personal security. Uh, and I know that Liz Cheney had personal security when she was doing the January 6th committee. And I think some of the other January 6th committee members, too. The Republican ones. Yeah. The Republican ones. Mo the Republican Get ones it. more so than the Democrats. Yeah, right. That's this right. is the. Because, but, you know, but it's a normal political movement and, you know, but but Kamala, President Kamala Harris would be so much worse. We have to empower these people who. Uh, I, I don't it's so angry. Hey, what do you think about Paul Ryan? Oh, what a what so that that part, I mean, I this is where my jaw was hitting the floor on these little nuggets. And this is when I say it's impossibly sad. That was one of the moments that was really sad. You loved Paul Ryan once upon a time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I liked Paul Ryan once upon a time. Um He's a little bit like an Ayn Rand devotee for my tastes, but I did, I liked him. I thought he was serious. I thought he, you know, had ideas and wanted to implement them and wanted to kick them around, whatever. And I, I don't think he's a bad, I didn't think he was a bad person. Oh, I think he's a bad person now. But man, him calling up Mitt Romney and telling him not to vote for impeachment, I was like, you you soulless. I don't, they're just like, you coward. You coward. That's you're, worse you're than not just, coward. It's not just your own cowardice. You're trying to you're trying to extend your cowardice to somebody else. You don't want anybody else to be brave because it reflects on your own cowardice. It highlights your own cowardice. So I, I don't think it's, I, I think it's actually evil. Yeah. And let me say why. 
if Paul Ryan was himself still in Congress, if he was an elected official, uh, if he had some skin in the game, and so he was going to try to pressure Mitt because he really wanted to like make his own life a little bit easier, then I would say, okay, this is an example of cowardice, and this man is a coward. For Paul Ryan to just hop off the sidelines and try to whip votes for Trump by turning Mitt with the sort of like, hey, are you sure you want to do this there, big guy, is both disloyal to Mitt. Let me let me tell you what that the loyalty version of that phone call goes. I hear you're in a tight spot. I just want you to know whatever you decide, I got your back. That's what your former running mate is supposed to say. Yeah. Not, uh, boy, you sure you, uh, you know, nice little shop you have here. Be ashamed if something happened to it. And for this, again, with no skin in the game, he's just out there in the world collecting his checks. And he's hanging just out com- on the Fox board. And he he parachutes in there to try to pressure Romney on this. Fuck you, Paul Ryan. So can I just say why this is even worse? Right. He thinks he's giving him good advice. Like this is this. There's this um, talked about this before this idea, like when bad guys think they're good guys. Uh, Mm -hmm. Right. Like terrorists think that they're good guys. The people who stormed the Capitol thought that they were protecting democracy. Paul Ryan thinks he is giving Mitt Romney good, sound, uh, honorable advice. And actually when and, and so he has perverted like he's so twisted up in this, so twisted up that he thinks he's calling up his buddy to be like, no, man, you shouldn't do this. It's for your own good. Ignore your conscience, Mitt. Don't do what you think is right. Do what is safe. Do what's be- and and it's because of that menace. I find it nauseating. I have one more thing that really grinds my gears. I, I mentioned this last night on the show, but you weren't here, so I want to throw it to you. I am, I think, as a manager, a very big-hearted guy. I I like to think about teams. I think you're a monster. I I like to think about teams and elevating people and putting everyone in a position to succeed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, That's my, you know, I just try to be a team lead. And the story about when he shows up at his office the morning of and brings his senior staff together to tell them what he's decided to vote and the reactions of some of his staffers, including one woman who looks at, puts her head in her hands upon hearing that her boss has decided to vote to convict, puts her head in her hands and, and doesn't look up for the rest of the meeting. He should have fucking fired her on the spot. Yeah. He should have said, you, Karen, not actually her name. I'm just like, get out of here. We'll mail you your things. How, da- how dare you, ma'am? How dare you sit there and be, oh, I can't believe that my boss is putting me in this position by trying to hold to the Constitution. Don't you understand? I'm going to have to get another job on the Hill. You you soulless piece of crap. Now, entirely possible this woman had just had a very bad morning and gotten news that, like, her dog had died. And that's why she put her, hand, her head in her hands. And if that's the case, I am sorry, ma'am. And I take it all back. I am simply reading things into this, uh, which maybe aren't the case. But those were my my feelings upon it, because that's how pervasive this French village situation is. 
because that's what it all it's all the French village. Yes. That even the staffers to the prince, that's how much the pressure is, right? Mitt isn't just Mitt isn't just holding out against the angry angry mothers in Utah screaming at him with spittle coming out of their, their mouths. He's not just holding out against uh, Mitch McConnell and J.D. Vance. He's not just holding out against Paul Ryan calling him up saying, hey, buddy, you ought to, you know, be smart here. Don't be, don't be stupid. Be smart. He's got to hold out against his own fucking staffers who he pays to help him carry out his best judgment. He's got to hold out against them, too. And I just, ugh. Ugh. The idea that you would be a staff person and you would watch your boss take a historic stand for something they believed in and that you would find that catastrophic to your own whatever sensibilities. Uh, I do I do think it's not that I want to saint Mitt Romney is that his normal level of decency, his unwillingness to go along with all this subtle pressure, uh, and unsubtle And not pressure, so subtle. And unsubtle pressure. <laughs> Paul Ryan, not so subtle. Not subtle, yeah. Uh, but just the, the constant, the constantness of it, right? Like his whole existence, like some of the stuff about him, you know, he lives in this uh, bachelor's apartment and watches... Better Call Saul and Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, yeah. And like only has seltzer and soda uh, and there's crumbs on the counter because he's living the bachelor lifestyle, but like doesn't really go out and doesn't, right? He doesn't have that many friends here because he's like a pariah. He's like a pariah. And the fact that he has done the right thing, I just, I think it's underappreciated how hard that would be. You know, there's, I'm trying to, remember where i heard this uh because i don't but maybe you'll know what i'm talking about or maybe some of our readers will listeners is that um like the worst thing for a human being is being like cast out of a tribe that there's something like evolutionary in us right that needs to be in a tribe because their tribe keeps you safe and that it's like deeply embedded and so the idea of resisting your tribe of standing up to it is like they're going to leave you in the desert to die and move on without you uh do you know what i'm talking about i do i do i don't personally feel that i have the opposite instincts which are i'm gonna join your stupid tribe i'm out here by myself and i'm good by myself thanks I also have a little, like, don't need your try, like, whatever. But I just, I, I can see, especially Mitt Romney seems like maybe like a little bit of a people pleaser. Like, he wants people to like him. He's a nice person. Uh, he wants to joke around, whatever. I just, I, the mo- the main thing I, I wanted to say is that his his normal level decency really exposes, and this piece is just filled with it. And it's why at the end of it, I felt really empty and sad, is because the cynicism not just of Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, but just of all of them. And like, he's the last, like he's gone. Like, and like the only ones, like, it's like, you know, Lisa Murkowski gives him salmon and that's nice. Which he covers in ketchup. uh, That's nice. (laughs) That was an amazing, he can't, 
Salmon. Alaskan salmon is amazing. And Mitt Romney, in order to make it palatable, covers it in ketchup. But it's I fabulous. Wonder, so I, I like I like that but I guess like even I guess I I guess I'd imagined he sort of had Susan Collins and Murkowski to really like buddy around with up there. Uh but it doesn't sound like he had had much. Anyway, I just it's it's it is is it is it is almost even worse. It's almost even worse than what we quit our jobs to combat and now continue to talk about endlessly. Somehow the the genius of that McKay piece was for him to show us that actually even to us it can be like worse and darker and uh more soulless than than even we can imagine. So uh did you read any of the stuff I wrote this week? Best friend? I think I read them all. Which one might not? All right. So journey with me to to Fantasy Island. Because what I would like to know is if Donald Trump is the nominee, why would we not have George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, and Mitt Romney barnstorming the country with Joe Biden, telling Americans, uh, hey, we are Republicans. We never thought we would see the day when we would tell people to vote for a Democrat. But in this one case right here, holy crap, you cannot vote for this authoritarian over here who says he's going to terminate the Constitution and exact retribution. Uh, Guys, you got to vote for the Democrat here. Now, I understand that you say this is fantasy politics. No, I'm not. I'm not as dismissive on this. But I, I tried to make the point that Donald Trump has been practicing fantasy politics, right? With the sort of, I'm not going to sign your pledges. I will tell voters to stay home and not show up at your, your special elections in Georgia. And maybe I'll start my own. All of that is fantasy politics, No, it's right? not. That's burn it all down politics. Well, maybe it's time to practice some burn it all down politics, right? I mean, th- but this is. I don't, I don't think what you're talking about right now. I, I actually have been surprised and was surprised um, in 2020 that George W. Bush didn't endorse joe biden i was i'm sure we talked about this at the time uh i've I've been very disappointed that he hasn't been more explicit in his condemnations he did something after january 6th as i recall but like i think it is uh i think at this point (laughs) and probably and now we're just like like there was a line somewhere back there the line is so far back it's like a dot to us when we're looking back but there was a line a long time ago where like Lots of people should have spoken up that haven't. And uh, I mean, but you, part of what I think about is like, remember Condoleezza Rice? I don't know if she went on The View or something like that. And she was like, well, you know, we really need to move on from this. And I was like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, and I just, um, I guess I, I I I I think it is there's a slim possibility that somebody like George W. Bush could come out against it. I don't think it's super likely. But I Why wouldn't they? But but yeah, I mean Why I would th- Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney and George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, who's already coming, Dick Cheney is already off off the Dick reservation Cheney, on Dick this, Cheney right? Would, He's there already. would do it. He, Dick Cheney probably would I mean, he did this but already, I don't think sort they of right? endorse Joe Biden. This is why the no label stuff well, then, so then they can say, don't vote for Trump. They should say, stay home, yeah. right? They Look, if they can't go all the way to endorsing Biden, fine. 
But they should say, don't give Donald Trump your vote. Yeah. Right. Don't vote for no labels. Don't. But don't don't give Donald Trump. Leave that line blank. Don't do that. And if they don't do it at this, like, we're headed to an incredibly close election that I have basically talked myself into believing that Trump is going to win. This isn't a prediction. This isn't a JVL is always right. I'm seeing around the corners moment. This is just like everything's bad and you're sad and you're preparing uh, yourself mentally for worst case scenarios. I just, I'm what I'm doing is I'm looking at all of the judgments of the people and they seem so irrational to me that I don't understand how suddenly 13 months or 15 months from now they're going to become rational. Right. If they're irrational about everything right now anyway, I- why would we think they're going to become suddenly rational can I Next give you, November. can I try to tell you something that just like soothe you from your certainty? I would love it. I could use that. Just think about 2022. Hey again, it's JVL. The conversation goes on from there. If you want to hear the rest of the show, head on over to Bulwark Plus and subscribe. We'd love to have you.